So welcome back to another exciting episode of Realty Bites, conversations on real estate and lifestyle. Recently, I have been asked a lot of questions surrounding today's topic. So before we embark on this important conversation, I'd like to take a moment and introduce our special guest, Karina Murphy. Karina is a self-propelled mortgage broker who brings an incredible passion and drive to the world of lending. Her innovative approach and unwavering commitment to her clients sets her apart. With over 30 years of banking experience, specializing in lending, Karina's knowledge in the field brings information, expertise, and guidance to her clients. She has honed her skills as a mortgage broker and currently serves as the team lead at Premier Mortgage Centre, offering a comprehensive range of lending options. Whether it's assisting first-time buyers or handling commercial mortgages, Karina caters to a diverse clientele with the utmost in professionalism and expertise. Her reputation as a trusted advisor is well-deserved and is a testament to her dedication and her skills, and more importantly, her client's success. So beyond her professional achievements, Karina values the importance of family and cherishes moments with her loved ones, including her furry companion, Mr. Pepper. Karina is also actively involved in charitable causes with a particular focus on the homeless. So please join me in welcoming Karina. So good morning, Karina, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Evelyn. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's definitely going to be a hot topic today and one that we're still having conversations about, even though these changes came into place in 2018. Right. And before we dive right on in, uh, just in terms of where you serve, so you serve the area of, is it just Toronto or? No, I'm kind of all over. So I've been in the business for a really long time. So I have clients as far as Yellowknife, clients in BC. Ontario primarily is my target market, but I'm also licensed in Nova Scotia as well as Ontario. And we do have broker partners that we work with in BC as well as Alberta. So if we have clients looking there, we can definitely look at them as well. Why am I paying higher rates for a conventional mortgage than, you know, my kid or my children's friends are paying? So what's going on with the mortgage market and what's happening? Yeah, so they're very complicated now. The mortgage rules changed back in 2018. So OSFI implemented a revised draft of the B20 guidelines. And once that happened, it basically changed the course of how mortgages worked. It used to be your rate was pretty much similar no matter what you you did. If you put 20% down or 5% down, you got the same interest rate. Um, also, the stress test was introduced at that time, and it, it really changed how mortgages worked. And mortgages now come into three types of buckets that I, that I will call it. So it's insured, insurable, and uninsurable. So depending which bucket you fit in is going to determine what interest rate you're going to get on the mortgage. So definitely a lot more complicated than what it was before. So maybe we can expand on uh, our understanding of those three buckets. So what is 
first of all, an insured mortgage? What, what constitutes an insured mortgage? For sure. So an insured mortgage would be any borrower that is purchasing a property and they have less than 20% down. A lot of people will maybe refer to CMHC insurance or SAGEN or Canada Guarantee, where that mortgage is protected and it's protecting the lender against default. So if a client can no longer make the payment on that mortgage, that property is protected. So in order to have an insured mortgage, you're looking at less than 20% down. The purchase price has to be under a million dollars. So typically 999999 fits that bucket. I've done a few transactions like that. And the amortization can be no longer than 25 years. And then the consumer pays that insurance premium and it gets added onto the mortgage and it's paid over the life of the mortgage. Okay, so they don't have to come up with that extra amount. And is the insurance premium the same or, or does it differ depending on the amount that you put down? It does differ depending on the amount that you put down. So it'll range anywhere from like 2.8 to 4% depending. So 4% definitely would be like your 5% down and it, it goes in 5% increments. So 80, 15% down would be the 2.8, for example, 90% would be 3.1%. Okay, so your lender can work out those numbers for you. Sometimes putting just a little bit more will drop your uh, insurable rate, correct? Yeah, for sure. And we definitely look at that depending like if it's close to the line, if it's, you know, you're going to have to put another 5000 down, but your payment's going to be a lot more per month. Sometimes it's better just to add the insurance premium. So those are types of things that we'll work through with the client to determine what's best for them. Okay, so we've talked about the insured mortgage. Now, insurable mortgage, that's a, a word that we don't often hear. So maybe you can explain what that means. Yeah, so insurable also, again, to qualify in this bucket, it has to be a purchase under a million dollars. Your amortization is 25 years or less. It can be a straight transfer from another lending institution, and it doesn't include things like refinancing your mortgage. Now, some insurable mortgages will get better pricing depending on the lender. So typically the big banks don't do the, what I would say, sort of tiered pricing. A lot of monoline lenders will, but we can kind of get into that later if you want. The last bucket that you mentioned was an uninsurable mortgage. So what is uninsurable? So uninsurable would be anything that has a purchase price of a million dollars or over. If the amortization is longer than 25 years, it could be a refinance. So a refinance can't be considered insured or insurable. So that is the last category typically where you would have a slightly higher interest rate than you would with the insured or the insurable. So when we talk about, you know, your neighbor's kid who just finished university is buying a house with 5% down and they're getting a better interest rate than what you have and you've got maybe 50% equity in your property, it makes no sense, but it's all got to do with whether the mortgage is insurable or not and protected, the lender's protected with that insurance premium. Okay, so I guess the lender is looking at their risk factors with uh, lending that money and based on that, they're adjusting the interest rates. So I'm assuming they're thinking that there's quite a difference in the risk factors, even though somebody may have 20% or even 50% their own money in the deal. Yeah, that's very different from before. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It's almost like reverse of what we did before, right? Oh, there's 50% down. So where's the risk? So prior to these B20 guidelines being implemented, lenders would do what we would consider bulk insure mortgages. So they would be able to go to the default insurer, such as CMHC or SAGEN uh, Canada Guarantee, and bring a portfolio of mortgages and say, we want this protected. They would pay a premium and it's for their benefit. The customer really had no idea that that was happening and the lender would cover that premium, but it protected them. So it got to a point where there was too many insured mortgages. So the government made these changes and basically said, okay, from now on, only these types of mortgages can be considered insured or insurable. So that's why uninsurable mortgages come with a higher interest rate because there's more risk associated to the lender. In your experience, what is the spread that you're seeing in the different in rates between the different buckets. Yeah, so it can be about a full percentage point. So typically for insured to go to the next level insurable, it might be anywhere from like 20 basis points to 30 basis points and then uninsurable. So for example, right today, I'll give you a sort of a range of where interest rates are. Uh, on the average, we're looking at anywhere from 4.59 to about 5.49 for an uninsurable. Insured, of course, would be that lower percentage point. And I'm just using a five-year fixed right now just for uh, conversation to compare. Definitely some lenders may have lower interest rates, some may be higher, but that's basically the average out there right now. And so why is there a range for the insurable mortgages? Right. So that is because some lenders, such as monoline lenders, will offer a tiered pricing based on the loan to value. So they will have pricing for for 65% loan to value, 70, 75, 80. So for them, it's costing them a little bit more if the loan to value is less, so they'll price that way. So if we're doing, say for example, a straight transfer from, let's call it a big bank over to a mall line lender, we will likely get better pricing than they would at their existing bank because that lender is pricing based on tiered interest rates. And so that our listeners can understand, maybe you can explain the difference between the big banks. What is the big banks? What's considered a big bank? So when I switched over from uh, the banking side to the broker world back in 2012, that was a whole new world for me. Simply a monoline lender is a lender that all they do is mortgages. Unlike the top big banks where they run off a balance sheet, so they have money on deposit, they're also lending out their money. Monoline lenders only do mortgages. That's it. Uh, a lot of times the monoline lenders are backed by big banks or investors, and that's where they're getting their funds. So it's a secure lender. They are regulated as well. So there's there's no harm in going with a monoline lender. In fact, there could actually be some benefit to the client in terms of interest rates as well as penalties. Penalties are huge when it comes to comparing a monoline lender versus a big bank. And which one would be the greater penalty? Big banks. The big banks. Okay. So that's interesting to know. And on your monoline lenders, they still have those perks that you can get with a mortgage such as prepayment privileges, uh, annual prepayment can top up your payment. So they've got all of those uh, little extras as well built in their mortgages. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are some, you have to be careful because there are some lenders out there that do what I call no frill mortgages. I'm not a fan of those because a lot can happen in the span of five years and they can be restrictive. So I tend to avoid those with my clients. They come sometimes with a slightly lower interest rate, but you have to be very careful. You have to know the product that you're getting into. Education's key. So as long as you know the rules to that mortgage, it's fine. But on the two occasions I've done one of those no frill mortgages and full disclosure to the client had them initial both times they've had to break that mortgage prior to the term, which comes with a higher, higher cost to break the term. So yeah, you have to be careful, just need to know. And I know a lot of times the consumer, it's all about the rate, the rate, what's the rate. But, you know, I think in life you get what you pay for and uh, you have to see if it really is right for your situation. So I think that's very information that you shared that you have to know the whole package. You're working with your uh, mortgage broker as such as yourself. You can ask a lot of questions that maybe they haven't considered. Like, what are your plans five years within the five years? Is this going to be you know, staying five years or some people even go in with the expectation that they're going to only own it for two or three years and then move on. Maybe they bought it with friends. They're going to just build up some equity, cash out and go their separate ways. So it's really important that you do speak to a well-versed mortgage lender such as yourself so that they can ask those questions and best advise you based on your specific situation because it's really not just about the rates. It's not. I mean, the penalties are a big one. If you, if you look on my YouTube channel, there are some videos on there that shows the, the difference between sort of a bank penalty versus a monoline lender. Like we're talking thousands of dollars. And yeah, people just have stuck in their head rate, 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 rate. And it, it's not all about rate, right? It's, it's how I describe using a mortgage broker versus a bank. So if you go into, let's say a Ford dealership, the and you ask them, what kind of car should I buy? Of course, they're going to say Ford. They're not going to say, oh, you should get a Honda because, you know, they're really good quality. Or maybe I hunt a Hyundai because they have a really good uh, seven-year plan on their cars. They're just going to give you what they're offering. So the difference with a mortgage broker is we have over 30 lenders and with those lenders come all those little niches, right? What's the penalty amounts? Can you break the term? Is it portable? It's important to know all the differences and the average consumer just doesn't have the time to do all the research, right? So yeah, the penalties are definitely a huge one. Now, a little while ago, you also used the word LTV something that you do hear quite a bit in the mortgage world and it would be great for us to get a better understanding of that for sure so ltv means loan to value so when lenders look at risk levels this is one of the risk levels that they're looking at so basically you're looking at what the if you take say for example a nine hundred thousand dollar property and somebody has a $600,000 mortgage on that property, the loan to value would be 66%. So that means 66% of the value of that property is mortgaged out. So it's just another indicator for the lender to look at in terms of risk to see. So if someone is buying a property and they're putting 5% down, the loan to value is 95%. If they're buying a property and they're putting 35% down, the loan to value would be 65%. So it's just the percentage of the mortgage based on the value of the property. Can you just expand a little bit more on that monoline lender? For sure. So they focus solely in providing mortgages, unlike traditional banks that don't offer other banking services. And a lot of times they are getting their funds from 
big banks. It's just another way for banks to white label mortgages and, and do it through a monoline lender. They do adhere strictly to the regulatory standards set out by OSFI, and typically they are backed by large banks and investors. Okay, so what is OSFI and why should we care? OSFI is the Office of the Superintendent for Financial Services, and they're independent federal government agency that regulates and supervises Canadian banks, um, insurance companies, pension plans, and they're there to determine whether these institutions and banks are in sound financial condition and meeting the requirements. And their focus is on safety and soundness with the consumer in mind. So for sure, consumers want to have OSFI involved. You know, if there's any issues, OSFI will step in and provide solutions to help strengthen and provide stability um, to quickly address any issues. And they're there for the client's protection to make sure that consumer confidence and trust in the are there in the institutions that they're dealing with. Okay, so it makes our banking system a little bit different from what we see in the States where we see these big banks. Yes. Yeah, we're highly regulated. And as a, you know, Canadian lending as a rule is very, very, how should I say, conservative. We talked a little bit about this insured mortgages versus an insurable and an uninsurable mortgage. So if someone was going out to say purchase a home at 700,000, how would the payment structure and the interest rate differ in those three scenarios? Sure. So for example, if we looked at an insured mortgage where the client is putting the minimum amount down, um, that would be $45,000. Okay. Um, the insurance premium on that particular mortgage would be $26,200. And keep in mind, it has to be a max of 25 years for this insured mortgage. And using an interest rate of 4 0.49, the payment per month would be $3,804.42. Okay, so that's for the insured mortgage less uh, with a minimum of 5% less than 20%. Correct. Okay, so now let's go to the insurable mortgage. So we'll use the same, it's going to be 20% down, but the payment difference is going to be a little bit different because we don't have that insurance premium, okay? So again, maximum is 25-year amortization, so the payment amount per month would drop to $3,658.09. So that's a difference of a little over $146 per month. And over a five-year period, that's just under $8,800. Okay, so that's a significant difference. And are we paying the same interest rate on that? So we were paying, in this example, 4.49 for an insured. What would the interest rate be on an insurable? Right, so slightly higher in that situation would be around 4.59%. And so keep in mind with the first one, you had that premium of a little over 26,000. So yeah, I mean, if you look at the difference, it's the payment difference, it's about $8,800. And now if we were having an uninsurable mortgage, what would that scenario be? Right, so that's a big jump when it comes to interest rates. So we can go up to 30 year amortization, okay, which is gonna help make that payment a little bit lower. Again, 20% down no insurer premium, and the payment per month would be $3,689.58. So for comparing that with the insurable mortgage, the difference in the payment is about $31.50 per month. Over five years, that's about $1,889. So you'd be saving $1,889. Okay. Interest rate's different, but 
you've got it for a longer period of time. Also, something to consider is with a longer amortization, you typically can qualify for more as well. Okay. So if you have 20% down and you're saying, yeah, but I'm going to be paying more interest rate and maybe I'm going to be paying one point more, should somebody who has the 20% drop down to 19, pay that insurance for that, you know, 1% or whatever, uh, and um, get the better rate? Like, not necessarily. I always think work with what you got. I mean, you have to to have it insured as well. Like you're you're looking at that max twenty five year amortization. So not it's not necessarily the right thing to do to, to to come up with the extra. And keep in mind as well to get that lower interest rate, you're paying that twenty six thousand dollar premium. So I always say just work with what you got. Well, you know, if you're looking to wait to get into the market, like okay, I'm going to save another $20,000 to meet that minimum. Well, we all see how house prices rise. And in the last couple of years, they've skyrocketed, right? We're in a little bit of a downturn right now, but it's really impossible for people to save $20,000 over the course of a year or two years, given all their regular expenses, right? So, you know, I get asked all the time, when's the right time to buy real estate? 10 years ago or today. You know, just buy it when you can. I bought my house 23 years ago for $256,000. And, you know, it's about one and a half million today. So the time's right when the time's right. You just do it when you have the money. It's a finite resource. There's only so much land. We're getting so much new immigrants coming, especially into the GTA area. There's not enough housing, even though the government says they're going to be restricting less in terms of building. It's just not going to be fast enough to make any considerable impact on there. Yeah. So we saw since March of last year, 2022, rates started to increase and the housing market slowed down. It's almost like someone flipped a switch. And, you know, we've enjoyed lower priced properties, but I already see them starting to go up, right? So the rates have now stabilized. So consumers are like, okay, I know what my payment's going to be. I know there's not going to be any increases. You know, spring is here. We're seeing that activity and I'm seeing things go over 100,000 over ask. You're 100% right. We have a housing shortage, a million immigrants over the next two years. We don't have enough housing. Yeah. It's funny because I guess it was when the Bank of Canada did not increase their rates. I think it was the last two sessions. It was almost at that time we saw a change in consumer perception of the whole process. And there is definitely a built up demand for people who want to get in the housing because even the rental market right now is insane and bidding on rental properties and people are paying more than what, you know, they're asking for rents. And with the rents being where they are, it makes it even more more difficult to save, as you said, to, to get that down payment. So we are seeing a change in the marketplace. We are seeing more multiple offers coming back and they're coming back in one of two ways. Uh, one is that they are doing some properties where they're holding offers for a offer date and encouraging everybody to come on that date and have multiple offers. But we're also seeing properties that are priced really well and that show well, and they're just getting multiple offers without a holding date because there's so little product on the market. 
Yeah, definite housing shortage. One thing we're also seeing a lot as well uh, in the last couple of years is the increase of parental support from first time buyers, like either gifted down payment or co-signing on the mortgage. Yes, I've noticed that quite a bit because it's it's very difficult for a first time buyer to get in. And as you said, if you've bought a home, even a few years ago, you've built up huge equity just by living in there. And so people can tap in on that equity and help their kids out so that, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that myself. So in this instance, with all these different insured, uninsured mortgages, there isn't a one-stop product for everybody, correct? Not really. It's a personal approach. It's it's no different than, you know, investing in stocks or things like that. Everybody has a different uh, uh, story, right? How much risk do you want to take? Um, and we look at that in the same way as mortgages. You know, if you're buying a property, most people ask, what's your five-year fixed rate? Well, why, why are you asking that? Like, how long are you going to be in the property? If they're going to be in there for three years, why are you looking at a five-year? Like, there's a lot of variables involved. Are they going to be moving out of province? So if somebody was moving out of province, we definitely wouldn't put them with a credit union because credit unions are usually provincial. So you can't port that mortgage to say BC if you're leaving Ontario. Also, we need to know is are there income income increases over the next few years? Do you want to have the ability to make larger lump sum down payments, that sort of thing? Is there going to be any changes in their finances or is there going to be family planning starting where income is going to be low and they need some flexibility? For a lot of my ladies divorcing, a lot of times I'll put them into a product where there's a home equity line of credit portion as well to provide that little bit of extra security in case something were to go wrong, they have something to draw on to sort of get them through. So there's a lot to to think about when it comes to mortgages. It's the biggest debt you'll ever have. And you have to be very careful about the product that you're going into. Right. So you've just given some really great instances of life changes that would affect, you know, your finances and your mortgage. And so it is really crucial to speak to someone because they're going to, if you're speaking to someone like yourself, who's knowledgeable, you're going to ask, like I said at the beginning, questions that they wouldn't have thought about, right? For them, it's just like, what's the house? What's my payment? What's the interest rate? But there really is more to it and a broader scope, uh, not even down the road, but just, you know, what your plans are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's stressful, right? It's a it's the biggest debt you'll ever carry. And especially if it's a home buying situation, people carry so much stress. I remember the first time I bought a property, like I literally got sick because I was so nervous. But and I don't forget that, right? It's it it is a lot, even if you're a second time buyer, you're you're buying up, right? So it's crucial to have the right product for you and working with a team of professionals that you trust that's going to, you know, give you the information that you need to help you make that educated decision. Right. And, you know, helping families get into the market or just even making a move, they come on two different spectrums. One spectrum are the super, super conservative people who can afford more, but they're really nervous about it. And then you get the other people who are like, let's just go for it. And you're like, maybe we need to pull back the reins a little bit and make sure that this is going to be, you know, uh, very affordable and manageable for you. So again, uh, speaking to your realtor to help you with, you know, the costs and upkeep and speaking to your mortgage professional, putting those two together will really give you a solid, I think, foundation of all of the different costs that's involved in purchasing a home because it's not just the mortgage, right? There's things that you need to consider as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it's like going through your budget. It's 
you know, people will ask me, what's my max? And I'll tell them what their max is, but I'll also ask them questions about their lifestyles. Like how often do you go out for dinner? Do you take vacations? Like buying to your max is not necessarily what you need to do. It's good to know what it is, but factor in the rest of your lifestyle as well. We talked a little bit about the stress test and that's really affected a lot of people and their affordability rate. Maybe you can spend a couple of minutes explaining what that is, why we have it and how it's affecting people. Yeah, the good old stress test. So a funny story before I tell it, I had um, one of my clients once asked me if he could use his own doctor for the stress test, which I chuckled, but like not that kind of stress test, but people don't know, right? So basically the stress test did its job in the last couple of years or the last year, let's call it when interest rates skyrocketed. We knew the rates were going to go up. I call it, you know, we had a mortgage sale there for a while because of the pandemic, but we knew they were going to increase. They definitely increased a lot more than we thought. But again, we also didn't think Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And there was a lot of global factors that happened. So for people specifically that were in variable rate mortgages, it, that's had an impact on them. And the stress tests came into play. We basically had to use this formula where we would take the contract rate, which is the actual interest rate the client would be paying. So let's call that 5.49. And it, it was either the contract rate plus 2% or the benchmark rate. So the benchmark rate currently, I believe it's 5.45. It, it used to be 5.25 back in pandemic days. So we're looking at interest rates today for at 5.45, we're using a rate of 7.45 to qualify people. So that automatically cuts a lot of people out of the market because that 2% increase on interest rates to use, it's, it's the qualifying rate that we're going to use. It's not the rate that the client's paying, but it's the rate we have to use to qualify the mortgage. And it was put in place to ensure that if interest rates were to increase, consumers could still comfortably carry the mortgage with a 2% increase. So it, it has been for sure disruptive. But again, thank God it was there because if it wasn't there in the last year, many people would be in financial stress. We could be seeing panic selling with their homes because they wouldn't be able to afford it. So yes, I think it's done its job. Do I think it's necessarily relevant today? My opinion, no. I don't think we're going to get to interest rates at 7.5%. So I don't see the need for us to be using that stress test as aggressively. Maybe it could come down to contract plus one or just simply contract right now because the rates are high and the anticipation is that they will come down. But yeah, it's it was there for a reason. I think it did its job. I don't think we really need to have it at this level at this point. Right. And so a question for you, when they're qualifying the consumer on the contract rate, so that's the posted rate from the financial institution, right? Well, it's that's kind of tricky because lenders will have their posted rate and then they'll have their discounted rate. So the contract rate will be the end rate that the client gets. So if they do get a discount, it would be the discounted rate plus the two points. Correct. Yeah. And is the stress test applicable for all mortgage lenders or is it just the big five? No, it's for all federally regulated lenders. If we get into different type of financing, for example, like private lending, there's no stress test. Credit unions are not federally regulated. So, you know, there are some credit unions that will qualify on the contract rate or contract plus one, depending on the credit union. B lenders, we do use the stress test, although they will have 
slightly higher ratios that you can go to to help fit whatever your financial need is. For example, we'll do a lot of uh, self-employed individuals on B lending because they tend to show a lot less income than they would if they were salaried, for example. So yeah, it's it's not everybody, but yeah, for the most part, but no, not to private lending and some credit unions are exempt as well. Right. So there is so many moving parts in putting a mortgage together more than what, what you would assume. So that's where, again, uh, working with a really good mortgage broker would be your best bet to at least get some information and advice on the different options because there's so many options and I'm always learning. I've been doing this for 35 years and I always learn something new too. So it's great to have that conversation. So we talked about residential mortgages for first time buyers. What other types of mortgages or lending do you offer consumers? We have B lending. So that would be people that don't traditionally fit into the big banks box, self-employed individuals, maybe some bruised credit, private lending, also reverse mortgages. So we're seeing that on the rise lately, especially with the costs of uh, food these days for seniors that you know are on a fixed budget. The reverse mortgage has really been helpful for them. It acts just like a regular mortgage, except they're not making mortgage payments, which is great. We're seeing a lot of seniors take the equity out of their home by way of a reverse mortgage to gift to kids, grandkids, or their children to help them see home ownership. So more of like a living inheritance. But also we're seeing a lot of seniors use that reverse mortgage to just get by monthly because the cost of food has gone up so much. And last year, gas was really high. They just can't make ends meet. And the average income for a senior in Canada is about $60,000 per year, which is really not a lot when you think about it. And so just a, a question about those reverse mortgages, if they're not paying any payments during the course of that mortgage, when does it get paid? So it gets paid when the client either sells the property or the, the party deceases. So if it's, for example, a like a couple, it doesn't necessarily mean if one person passes away, the mortgage has to be paid out. It's still in effect and it continues to go on until the other person passes away. Uh, there could be a situation as well where maybe one of the uh, couple needs special care and they have to go into a nursing home. Uh, and a lot of times the funds are used for that. They take the equity out to help the one of the parties and then the other party could stay in the home and that's fine as well. And so if, if both parties to be deceased and it was uh, in a will, to somebody else, do they have to sell or can they pay off that debt and then keep the property? How does that work? Do you know? Yeah. So the debt could be paid out as long as the debt's cleared with the lender. That's really all they're concerned about. So the property could be, you know, taken over by the family. It would have to be done by, well, I guess it's, if it's in their will, they could will it to them. There's, there's still land transfer tax, that sort of thing. But yeah, that's okay. As long as the debt's cleared, it, it's fine. Okay. And if you were to get a, a reverse mortgage, the interest rate, does it change every five years, like a five-year fixed rate or how does that work? 
So they do offer terms similar to a regular lender. So they'll offer a variable, like a three-year, four- or five-year term. Um, so you can work with the lender based on that. And then when the mortgage comes up for renewal, just look at the options again at that point and see what rate you want to go. It is going to be a slightly higher interest rate than a regular bank. And again, this is not the solution for everybody, but it can be a solution for people that really need to have extra cash. If we look at generational practices like my parents, your parents, their main goal was let's pay the mortgage out. And so we have a lot of seniors in Canada that are house rich and investment poor and they're struggling and they don't need to be. And sometimes the biggest pushback we get are from the kids. I hate to say that they're inheritance, right? But I've had a situation where my clients were carrying the uh, shortage on their parents' property year over year. And they just kept getting in debt as well, trying to make ends meet for the parents. So we were just we just put a reverse mortgage on and that looked after that issue. So it, it actually alleviated a lot of pain for both of the families. If our listeners have more questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, Karina? For sure. So a variety of ways they can reach out to me via email. So it's Karina at premiermortgage.ca. They can call my office number at 416-884-1428. I'm also on social media on Instagram. We have a lot of tips and tricks on there for clients, first-time homebuyers, reverse mortgages, self-employed. My Instagram handle is Karina Mortgage Girl. And we also have a YouTube channel as well where they can get information and tips and tricks. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you again so much for joining us uh, today. We'd love to have you back. Um, again, thank you to our listeners. And if you have any questions for Karina, feel free to reach out to her. Thank you. Thanks, Evelyn. Okay, bye for now. Bye.